Human family, thank you for tuning in. I'm Keenan White, and I'll be sharing stories, dialogues, and methodologies for leading a conscious, abundant life. To me, luminous is a word that connects us to our vital life force energy and soul essence. Your bioluminosity is a barometer for health, a gauge for abundance, true prosperity, and a luminous way of life. In this podcast, I hope you find a more effortless way of tuning into the wisdom of your body, soul, and spirit. We'll explore the many faces of medicine, creativity, and self-mastery as it evolves and spans into esoteric and ancient wisdom and modern paradigm shifts in consciousness. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm here with my good friend, Will Cohn. He is a spiritually focused psychotherapist. What's up, Will? Hey, thanks for having me, Keenan. Yeah, pleasure to be here with you. It's been a little bit of a long time coming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are you today? Really good. I'm excited. I'm excited yeah, me too. To and excited to talk to you and anyone who's listening. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, we just had a nice little drop in, little meditation, little energy work. It was nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feeling the vibrations. Yeah, nice. Yeah, really fun. <laughs> well, I always love picking your brain. It's so fun to talk with you. And I mean, it just goes back to the root of this podcast, just finding p- people that are you know to me living a life where we're looking for something a little bit different than than the norm you know looking to thrive looking to really optimize life in in the best way we can and yeah it's not always like right in front of our eyes even though it kind of is at the same time there's this amazing paradox and seems like you know that's always the meat of our conversation is enjoying this beautiful paradox we're living in and bringing in some non-dual reality perspectives mm-hmm. i know you have a lot to share and you're you're in the middle of working with a lot of people and honing your craft mm-hmm. do you want to share a little bit about what it is that you're you're honing in on yeah definitely, definitely. yeah i um so i'm uh, in graduate school i'm a in my third year of uh, graduate school and i have the classification as a trainee um to be a uh, licensed professional counselor and a licensed marriage and family therapist. And so I went sort of a traditional route um, as far as education and licensure. However, my schooling is, is a little bit different. So when I first started to apply to graduate school, I didn't realize there were sections of psychology that were so spiritually focused and that there are actually institutions out there who give you you know, full degrees and and full accreditation for your licensure um, and still have this uh, what's called transpersonal psychology, this transpersonal psychology focus. And so this is really bridging these two gaps for me, which most of my adult life has been spent as a spiritual seeker, um, you know, self-taught, doing retreats, uh, videos on YouTube, um, a lot of books, you know, all that. And then um, having, you know, trying to make a career out of it, you know, you can do the sort of life coach approach or the spiritual coach or teacher or whatever that is, or what you do, Keenan. And um, I, to my lovely surprise, there were like real schools, like, you know, giving out degrees for this stuff. And for me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, as the sciences evolve, you know, you can look at like quantum physics and quantum physicists now are like, they're like non-dual. Like, because that's just where the science is. And so it makes sense that like 
psychology would also be moving in the same direction. And ideally, you know, the mystics and the scientists were all going in the same point. We're all going to meet up. And it's becoming more and more evident, you know, these days where it's just like people are just saying the same things. And it's really yeah. exciting to be here. Like we're all, you know, we're all climbing up and different roads, but um, we share a lot in common. Yeah, I love how you put that. It feels very succinct, very true. And I love I love this process, whether, you know, there's yogis out there and then there's a lot of people doing something very alternative and unconventional and not going down this master's program route like myself. And then there's people who are, and it's it's cool to see the the change happening at the institutional level. And I think one of the the kind of interesting like pieces I wanted to touch in on, and we we briefly touched on that a little bit, was that what I feel sometimes in these spiritual communities and in the, the bubbles that I'm in in sometimes is people don't necessarily trust the the world of psychotherapy and and they're feeling limited by it. Yeah. And personally in my experience i've had some really powerful time sitting with a psychotherapist and the tools available now seem to be so diverse i mean i just remember talking with her and she was like we haven't even grazed the surface of what's available and i was really just loving all the things we had done we did some brain spotting mm -hmm. which is a really interesting technique of sort of more or less holding this like I think she just had kind of a pointer, like a teacher's pointer. Mm -hmm. And I would I would track it with my eyes and then I would, you know, different things would happen based on where my eyes were moving and, and what section or area of my brain would light up. And I I definitely hit some grief points and some childhood pieces in there. And it was it was wild within minutes too, very, very instant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what are you excited about in terms of your world and how might you speak to, to that piece about psychotherapy, people moving away from that and how, I mean, cause I feel like actually it's got so it's got more of a place now than ever mm -hmm. as it evolves. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's such a need showing up, you know, because obviously most of the population is not um, interested in these sort of matters. And so it's like, there's, a real need, a real sort of health, health, uh, mental health crisis, as you've heard, and um, and there are psychotherapists for for there's so many now. You know, people are more and more people are coming out, and there's different levels and um, different modalities. I mean, so many modalities, like you said, there's brain spotting, there's neurofeedback, there's EMDR, there's um, somatic therapies. You know, it's like the list can just go on and every and new people every day are coming out with just these brilliant own concoctions of like how can we help and um and so really you know you're turning into this world where it's like there there is almost a modality for everybody now and that includes the people at the highest um step you know people are really sort of close to the top of the mountain it's like um i still think that psychotherapy can help in a lot of ways and the difference maybe between uh, a spiritual teacher and a psychotherapist is not so big anymore yeah nice yeah and i feel like i mean at the you know we can talk about how amazing the field is and how it's growing and then and then in a very real sense people are really struggling at this point you know i, I know that the suicide rates for physicians have gone up dramatically particularly after the pandemic and um yeah i've got just a, well 
one person in particular working with some of these physicians and just, you know, telling some stories about their, their lack of, you know, feeling confident about the way that the system's supporting what really I think wants to emerge as a, a more effective, reasonably accessible healthcare, including mental health. Mm. And, and I think that's going to happen. Um, but if the physicians are struggling, that, that really does point to a problem. So, yeah, I mean, I, it, to me, I think what I, what I love about bringing a spiritual lens into my work is that it brings in a greater meaning in, in life into all areas. I mean, when we're, we're finding a deeper connection with spirit and the spiritual aspect of life, then all areas get affected. I mean, it's, it's sort of, to me, like the lifeblood of our being. And when we're in this relationship or we're in this job and we can create a little bit deeper meaning in these subtle places, it makes all the world a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, so like, how do you, you know, what's your view of, of bringing a spiritually focused lens into psychotherapy? Yeah. Well, uh, you introduced me as a spiritual psychotherapist, right? So yeah, uh, yeah you know, for me, of course, mm -hmm. like is a huge part of my life. I mean, I consider myself a, more of a mystic than a psychotherapist. Um, that's where my focus is, and and for that must any be why part... we're drawn together. Sorry, uh, what? That must be why we're drawn to one another. Yes, I feel, of course. I feel the same yeah. way. I mean, we met each other on the spiritual path. You know, we didn't meet each other like in school or at like a psychotherapy convention, right? So it's like that to yeah. me is is such a core of of me, and and I I sort of look at it like there there are there are levels of suffering and like i was saying before that there are psychotherapists and psychotherapy modalities sort of suited for each level of suffering and what the society and the system will deem like okay now you're a healthy normal individual normal is still crazy and um you know <laughs> deeply unhappy in our society <laughs> right and so spirituality sort of raises the ceiling of what normal is and so it can be considered more of like normal to me is is enlightened is liberated is somebody who's living without any suffering you know still feeling the breath of emotions of course still having a body the emotions in the body are um they have to go together but the mental suffering the mental chatter the the shame the blame the you know trauma coming up you know deep frustration you know whatever that is and that to me is is no longer in the realm of healthy and i think that 99 percent of the species is living in an unhealthy insane uh state yeah there's a lot of way in which i feel like insanity has persisted through the mishandling of our of our condition mm -hmm. and i mean just just the focus on you know an awareness of suffering is is important right it's it's bringing us into a, a sense of okay you know i mean and i'm thinking about the buddhist side of things at the moment you know like life is suffering and there's this basis of suffering and like to me when i hear that i really feel like the the suffering that does take place is happening because the there's an identification with something very limited that's that's keeping us confined to something and and it feels like reality or my life is this 
when we may when we may not be opening up to the entirety of who we really are or to what's available to us mm -hmm. right right exactly there's um there's this teaching uh do you know about the default mode network i think i've heard of it before but i don't, I don't know i wouldn't know how yeah. to describe it so if i if i'm hearing you right so what you're alluding to is this sort of this ego identification and this selfing that happens yeah and uh, it sort of cuts us off from, you know, potentially this merging with life and this tapping into the, the sort of the cosmic creativity, this universal love, this connection. And a good example of this are all the scientists doing work on default mode network, which is basically all the parts of the brain that are responsible for this selfing, this where the ego is, you know, forms. And so it's not like there's just one chunk, like the ego's there and you can just sort of pick it out. It's like there are specific areas of the brain that light up on these MRIs that all have to do with this selfing um, experience. And um, just as an aside, they're doing some really fascinating research on like LSD because LSD sort of turns off the default mode network. And so, you know, of course, they're trying to figure out like Silicon Valley is like, can we like, can we turn it off on purpose? You know, can we like <laughs> flip a switch? And yeah, enlightenment in a pill would be would be great. Um, anyway. So we have this sort of super <laughs> to come back to that. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, we have this sort of supercomputer of the brain and of the, you know, you know, more of the spiritual experience than just saying it's the brain. It's it's really this sort of tapping into this this universal energy. Um and and then you have this sort of like you can imagine this like supercomputer circuit all sort of goes through this one wire. And at the tip of this is like this little tiny unit. And this unit is like the ego. And so uh, the ego is, sort of turns into like the press secretary for this super supercomputer. So we can be working on this like really challenging subject. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of spiritual inquiry can be very deeply challenging. And um, or even, you know, a good example, let's say we have this tricky math problem and we're thinking about it, we're thinking about it, we can't really get it. And all of a sudden it's like it pops into our consciousness. And then the supercomputer is like, solve the problem. And then it feeds all this information up into this insight. And then the press, the press secretary is like, I did that. You know, that was me. And it's, it's like, it's like life did that for you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then we all like, the ego is just here taking credit for it. Like, oh, I solved the problem, you know? But like, all it really did was just, was just wait till it got solved on its own. And then sort of deliver the message that yeah, yeah that happened. Yeah. And then kind of claim something that wasn't completely, and you know, there's a little bit of a falsity in there. I mean, it it goes hand in hand with Maya, you know, with illusion. But so I mean, within that, I mean, yeah, like what is that? Like what so in terms of our suffering, like if we're to tie that component into this, where do you feel like suffering fits into that sort of disconnect between this spiritual process that's occurring cosmically and through us. And then this, this kind of like claiming of, of all of that by this smaller self. Yeah. So, so what happens when we, we identify with our egos is um, we feel limited, inherently limited. I mean, you know, these sort of the analogy of this massive machine and this tiny little creature and we, we, this unit we, we think is us. And so we're inherently walking around with these feelings of lack, with these feelings of disconnection, with these 
fears of our own mortality, because of course, this unit, this ego, when we identify as the body, you know, the body's going to die. So we're always feeling unsafe. Um, and, and then this feeling of, you know, disconnection, because if I'm identified with a me, then I'm not you. And so I'm feeling separate from you. And then all of a sudden, you're my enemy, I'm in competition with you. And so the consequences of this identification are, are vast. And, you know, the root of, of all suffering, of course, it is very necessary that the ego is is created. You know, we're born without one. And it uh, comes in around uh, between the ages of, uh, I think, one and a half and two and a half, or one and two and a half is usually when, when the ego, I think in every case, the ego is formulated in those one and a half years. And, um, and very necessary for human evolution, that we can feel separate, that we can express our needs, that we can say, this is you know, I want food, you know, and, and um, necessary. And then suffering is an inevitability, as the Buddha has said. And then eventually the process seems to be no ego, um, suffering. And then we have to go back to this, at least understanding that we're, we're not just this little unit taking credit for everything. This, we're not this illusion. In fact, we still are and have never not been connected one to with everything yeah so it reminds me of that classic zen teaching around going back to chopping wood and carrying water yeah yeah, yeah. and then i think in uh i think in hinduism isn't it i don't know if it's hinduism but um at first there are no mountains then there are mountains then there are no mountains or vice versa. I think it's actually the opposite. I think it's um, first there are mountains, then there are no mountains, then there are mountains again. But it doesn't quite. Uh, I I was including in there the the first one and a half years, you know. Mm, yeah, it's always a little bit of like a yeah. It's always pointing to something that is not always like that is maybe not obvious depending on your perspective, but could be. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I think what we're kind of, I'm at least feeling right now is this ineffable quality to that, to that experience that is characteristic to, to maybe realizing that, that, that it's not just me and this separated self. Right. And there's a whole field of, of experience that gets opened up that is, it's almost, yeah, I mean, it, it's uncertain. There's a bit of an unknown. So wait, I'm not who I think I am. Then, then what? And then, you know, the ego wants to identify with something to feel safe typically. So then what do I hold on to? And yeah, I think there's in, in that part of the journey, perhaps it's a little bit challenging, at least it hasn't been my experience, just all right. You know, it's kind of like a surrender and embracing that, that there's this mystery that, that I, I can't know it all, you know, like if the more that I try to know, you know, I kind of almost like, you know, maybe I, maybe I think I am who I am in, in what I'm trying to know, but, but through that, I'm sort of losing like this, this kind of um, mystery, like this kind of the beauty, like to me, there's so much beauty in the mystery and, and it's kind of nice not to know, not, not to know everything so that I feel right. like there's an inflection point yeah there's this freedom in the not knowing yeah yeah that's yeah. what i'm speaking to yeah definitely yeah sort of like you're in free fall 
And free fall is really scary if we're trying to grab onto something. But when you're really in the not knowing, when you can let just, just fly, just let yourself go and have no ground under you and no branches around, then it can be liberating. Yeah, what what do you, you kind of mentioned to bring maybe a personal experience into that. Do you, do you remember the first time you, you felt that, that feeling where you're, you were able to not have to, to grab onto anything. You, you were actually more in the trust of the free fall. Yeah, well, I think the, the first time I experienced it was actually um, on LSD, where it was really like there was no ground under, under me. And there was just, uh, and there occasionally the ego would sort of like grip, you know, and just like, oh, you know, I need to grab onto something. And then uh, some of Byron Katie's work, which we'll talk about her later, but um, sort of, is it true? Do I really need to grab onto something? Am I really gonna die? You know, sort of staying in this not knowing. And you just sort of continually let, let go until you just hit free fall. And it's just like, there's no ground, there's there's nothing around, and, and then there's no, uh, there's a surrender to it. There's no attempt to hold on because there's really nothing to hold on anyway. The ego itself is an entire illusion. And so uh, it's a little off topic, but you know, the, the illusory nature of the ego, it sort of created its own branch, its own imaginary branch, and it's holding on to it. But it inherently feels unstable, and the ego knows it's not really safe. <laughs> it's not really there. The whole thing is just this imaginary contraction. And through the work of what you're talking about, through the work of, I don't know, of really not knowing. I mean, if we really look at it, we have no idea. We have just no idea what's going on here. If we're really honest with ourselves. We're really honest with ourselves. We, we have no clue. It's just, it's just people told us stuff and we believed it and we like just held on to these things. But when we're honest with ourselves, it's like, what is this? What, what is this? what is you know what's seeing what, what what's what's happening here and when, when we can enter into this place it's and and surrender to it you know it's let's be careful with verbs because it's not like it's us entering into it but it's sort of surrendering to it entering into us in some way and it's a nice distinction yeah right and so it's just you just keep letting go and letting go and letting go and um And that's that's it. Yeah, it's a it it's can be so simple. And then I think the tricky business is that in the conceptualizing of it, just if you're gonna be in a conceptual framework, you're gonna be in some ways limited to that conceptual framework. So, you know, if I'm tending to want to make sense of something with my mind, then I'm going to probably categorize it. And we have whole languages for that, words definitions and meanings and all that and then I can use some of those words to construct meanings about whatever it is that I'm making sense of and tending to think that if I you know in my logical sense am going to find an answer like a mathematical equation that there is some step that I first start with some amount and then some reaction or action happens and then I, I there, there's a different result there's sort of like a a linear linear based model built into 
concepts. And that can be scary to let go of too, because it feels so good to just kind of be like right about something. Like I, I love math, you know, when I solve mm. a problem, I'm like, boom, yeah. you, know, you get this feeling of like, it's black and white. <laughs> yeah. You know, absolutely. there's this thing and it reduced down to this and that's that, that's that, that's what it is. Right. Yeah. But then there's this whole other sort of like world beyond that. And one of the things I've been feeling into lately in, in my contemplations has been this love of math and how math actually has such a qualitative element to it. Because mm. we think about it as quantitative. It, it's working with numbers and with numbers, you're adding, you're subtracting, you're multiplying, you're dividing. But but there's something almost like there's a kind of innate value to a number in the way that it even constructs our world and reality, like through our geometries and through light and through right. sound. Yeah. And I, I love that aspect of astrology. No, it's no wonder that astrology has landed well in my, in my world because I was such a, a lover of math. I thought I'd go into math, but you know, be a mathematician. I go, oh, wait, what? I want to be a mathematician. And then I found astrology and it was, it's just like all dealing with all different kinds of numbers, but the, the qualities of those numbers and the way that we interpret them and, I guess like kind of what, where this is leading for me is like the sense that like if like wherever we're leading in a quantitative sense or like a logical sense, ultimately there's some quality that's there. And like whatever that quality is, is really like what we're creating our world with. So what what is the meaning or the quality that we're really wanting to, to create? Mm. And I, I feel like that's been like, you know, my question lately, what do, what do I want to great what qualities of my life do i really want to be present yeah and i th I think that's i mean that's in in some ways like a, a counter i found to suffering you know like because the suffering the ego limited attachment the quantitative side is like well how much work did i complete you know and how much how many hours are left in the day and how much did i not do you know mm -hmm. and there's oh man that can just be so brutal to 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 be almost kind of locked into this like comparison yeah you know yeah. self-comparison or comparison to others or whatever it is and we have all these social media platforms now and it's like oh my god well this person's doing that and that mm -hmm. and there's such a tendency that the ego is like how do i compare how do i fit in what is me and it's so nice to just let go of that and and almost kind of just oh like see that that is me it's just another part of me expressing uh-huh the ego, you mean on the social media, is which another another part of you? Yeah, or or if if I am everything, then other people expressing how they are expressing uh, are, yeah. are in some ways aspects of me. Right. And I maybe I I want something, or I want a quality that that I'm drawn to, but mm. what if what if I get to just have that right then? Sure. You know, what if I don't have to own it? Yeah. You know, and ownership can be such a um yeah a place where a lot of suffering happens i found mm -hmm, right i need to have that or i need to own it in some ways and whether that's a person or idea or experience yeah absolutely absolutely wow yeah you brought up so many good points um and i i um i didn't know all that about your your math history that's so that's so cool and so i see why sacred geometry and astrology are so resonant with you that's really cool um yeah, I want to touch on values. Values is, is a good transition into some of my work. Um, and uh, and I also, before before we move, I just 
I, I, I totally get it. The ownership and the, and where the suffering starts and all of that. Um, yeah, it's like, we're back to this like imaginary branch and like, because, you know, we sort of know it's like, there's this unstable ground here. We're like more like, I need solidity. You know, I need to have that, like, you know, plant my flag, like this is mine. And it sort of moves further away from, from what's really going on here, which is that everything is, is me. And when we have these, everything is projection as well. This is back to Byron Katie's work, um, where if I can notice a quality in you, like, oh, I see that's a very kind man over there. It's like, I'm I'm, I'm experiencing kindness, which is already here, and then projecting it onto my image of you. Right. And so the same yeah. is true with, with everything. And so when, when we have judgments like, oh, that guy is, you know, so rude, you know, it's like I'm exper I'm experiencing rudeness and then projecting it because everything is is myself. Like you say, everything, everything is us. There's a there's an easy way to feel into that truth, which is. Um, you notice when we're when we're unkind to anything either a person or anything in our environment, we, we hurt. Like there's this natural pain that shows up when we're expressing unkindness. And then the reverse is also true when we're expressing kindness, you know, and it could be to anything. It could be to, to a friend or a lover or a pet, but it could just be to like the wall. Like it feels good because that's us, that we're, we're loving ourselves or we're hating ourselves. And it's like, we really feel that because we're splitting ourselves off, projecting one and then casting that. And so, so you can really tap into this truth that there's like, it feels, you know, you get this experiential feedback, like, yeah, it feels really nice to be kind and loving to everything. And it feels really unpleasant to have animosity. It's because everything mm -hmm. is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I, it helps me, you know, yeah. I feel like it comes back to the heart, you know, a lot of the suffering seems and I, I i guess there's some stuff i just felt like saying and during this talk but yeah i feel like yeah love you know it's what are we not loving you know sometimes it can be that simple usually there's just something that that hasn't been brought into that light of that fire spiritual fire of compassion yeah and yeah. when it's brought in there it's just anything can burn any experience can burn mm -hmm. in that in that cauldron and and that's that helps me trust it's like oh okay anything that happens you know ultimately is going to burn into that wow yeah i love that that imagery is so strong yeah isn't it yeah it feels really good <laughs> <laughs> yeah man <laughs> yeah. so what do you what do you want to bring in with with values and, values. and maybe we yeah. can segue so, yeah sure so I'll, I'll, quick, I'll quickly share a brief part of my background. So I was on the spiritual path without any psycho, without much psychotherapy, just doing a little bit here and there, but um, I, I started really suffering. I mean, the beginning, I, I was on the path, you know, for, for my suffering and it really kicked off when I was around um, 18 and at the age of around 23 or so, um, you know, there's ups and downs and some really incredible peak experiences with my spiritual path. And I thought I was making a lot of progress, but between ages like 22 and 23, I, I hit a pretty hard depression. 
and I ended up, um, thanks to my mother, you know, mama, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, she put me in touch with this ACT therapist and ACT stands for acceptance and commitment therapy. And that was really a missing link for me. And so that was part of the, what inspired me to go to school was because this acceptance and commitment therapy made such a difference in my path and was such a missing link in my spiritual path. And so, um, so I, I want to go into a little bit about acceptance and commitment therapy because it's, yeah, I'd love to hear that broken down. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, there's, uh, there's six key facets of this modality and I'll go through the six with you. And we'll start with, um, with values. You know, this is what um, reminded me of it. We have values being one of the facets on the hexagon of um, psychological flexibility, they call it. It really just means like less suffering, you know, happiness, contentment. Um, so we have values and we have committed action. And those two things sort of go together. So what are my values? You know, who do I want to be in this world? How am I showing up? Who are my heroes? That's a key aspect of the therapy. And then finding committed actions that go in line with those values. So I have all of my clients um, write down their values. You know, usually it's between like, usually around like 10 or so, you know, five to 10. And then under each of those values, they have committed actions, like def like actionable things that they can do that are going in line with those values. And yes. so important. Right, so important. And not not really what was on the map for me as a spiritual seeker. This is like pretty classic behavioral therapy. And this is sort of the stuff that gets a bad rap. You know, it's like not very spiritual. It's like, okay, I'm going to adjust my behavior. Um, cognitive behavioral therapy is, you know, very popular and very well studied and, um, and evidence-based practice, as they call it. And that's sort of like as a spiritual seeker, you know, with our spiritual egos, it's like, no, I'm, I'm above CBT. Like, I don't need, you know, um, I, I need, you know, deep meditation retreats and my behavior will adjust on its own. But something like this is, is so helpful and really helpful for me personally. It does a couple of things. One, it, it, it really shows you, like, you spend time and you really think about it. Like, okay, like, how do I want to be? What do I want to show up? And some of that, you know, some like law of attraction stuff, I think comes into play there because you're like imagining and daydreaming like, all right, what life am I wanting to, to have at, at my time here? And, and we're, we're aspiring, we're sort of raising our consciousness up. We're sort of raising our frequency to that life. And that in itself is like a creative act. Like, yeah, like, I want to have relationships that are free and loving, and I don't want to have this sort of control. And so, uh, clear, you know, making that clear and imagining those kind of relationships starts to attract those into our lives. And then, then it's really clear to see, okay, when you put your actions down, what is my, how many hours of my day are spent doing things that are in line with my values? And it's really clear. You can just, you can see it. You can make a separate list, but like, oh, hey, there are all these things that are not in line with my values that I do. Excessive TV watching, you know, like not keeping up with my friends, whatever that is for you. And you see, you see, okay, these are the ones that make me feel fulfilled. And these are the ones that don't. And it's like, <laughs> wow, this is great. Like very helpful in your face. Super like, helpful. Very practical. Yeah. yeah. Very practical stuff. Like I'm spending you know, two and a half hours every night watching TV that 
I don't really need to be watching. So let me take 30 minutes of that time and pick an activity on my value list for 30 minutes. And immediately my life is a little better. Mm, nice. Yeah. And that's just 30 minutes out of the two hours. So maybe part yeah. of part of the, the framework is to start small. Because sure. I feel like if, if you do make a quick change and you, I mean, I know I felt this part of me that's like, oh, well, uh, I mean, I'm just going to do everything in my fulfilled section and then do nothing exactly. in my unfulfilled section. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not sustainable. I agree. Yeah. And I, I ran into the same trap. And so what happens is like one of my, one of my values is to have a good time, to feel good, to experience pleasure. And under that, my subcategory is self-care and self-care makes me feel good. And right now um there isn't like well rest is part of my self-care then there's like excessive rest which is like two and a half hours of tv but if i just took all those two and a half hours and i thought well i'm just going to run for two and a half hours like then we have you know it's not balanced so for some people who are working a lot you know really challenged in their day-to-day -day and don't have much time an hour of tv turns into self-care like, yeah, I'm taking a break right now. Like I'm resting. And so you sort of find your way with it. Um, and I, I did the exact same thing. Like I ended up moving to this small town in, in Colorado called Crestone. And, um, and I, I had a list. I was like, all right, we are just doing like only productive self-care things. And I just couldn't keep up with it. It was too much. Mm -hmm. So it's about, mm. you know, finding that balance. Yeah, totally. It's yeah, it's a funny thing because it's the the times where I've. Huh, I mean, I wonder if that's that's where this subtle terrain of bypass happens. You know, when we think we're so aligned to to keep creating in the direction of what we really want, but the the speed of it's so fast that that then it's like. We're just kind of going into to ignore that other side, you know, like I'm just going to put all my attention in, in this area, wherever you're putting attention. I mean, there's another side to it, right? Um, yeah. There's a downside to everything and there's an upside to everything. Mm. And in the perceived upside with no perceived downside, usually there's a, that's a recipe for disappointment or right some right. kind of polarity integration at another point because really everything's neutral it's just when we perceive where we tend to tell a story about how we're seeing things and in, in a positive or negative light you know an upside downside so yeah i mean i i do i do feel like looking from more of like a neutral lens in that transformative behavioral work is really important you know it's like okay well i'm going to do this and it's it goes the same thing right if if i get you know, well, whatever I'm choosing, there's there's an upside and downside. If I can see that, then I won't necessarily feel, yeah, there there's be more balance. I mean, it's going to be the difference between pedestalizing something and and then dealing with whatever is getting pitted from that place. Whereas if you're viewing it from an equal place, it's like, okay, well, there, you know, this this has an upside. It also has a downside. I'm still choosing it, and I'm I'm cool with both. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so you, you're really talking about like not going in with any expectations if i'm hearing you right <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 and and that's 
expectations are, are you know, an area where you can, you can get really stuck, really sticky, and holding on to our ideas. And so what you're describing, like having this open mind and sort of feeling into this neutrality that's there. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a lovely addition to some of this value work and some of this more, you know, behavioral therapy. Yeah, I suppose there's more possibility available in a neutral position. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where, and I think, yeah, I guess like what you're also kind of pointing to and adding on to with that is that with those expectations, um, yeah, there just tends to be like this. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just, I'm trying to capture the, the energy of momentum it's like when we're building momentum what blocks us and i feel like one of the things that's been coming up in my world is like this piece around like consistency mm -hmm. and how important the actual consistency is over the like amount you know so it's it's better that i just show up even if it's for a moment mm -hmm. to my meditation cushion and I just sit and sometimes I'm like, oh, I need to get up now. And the fact that I made it there builds that pattern to show up again. But if I don't show up, then it's kind of just like nothing's nothing's there. And I, yeah, I, absolutely. I, 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 um, I, I'm going to borrow something that Michael Singer says. He's the author of Untethered Soul, if you guys know him. Um, but he talks about uh, you know, you're speaking to like building the pattern. And so theoretically, the goal then is you would spend more time on the meditation cushion if you show up every day. And yeah, that's probably a byproduct of that. Michael Singer speaks about having the commitment is really what's important about doing that every day. And I think that's such a good distinction because it's not necessarily about, okay, I'm going to be spending 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes at night. It's like, I'm prioritizing meditation because it's in line with my values. So I'm gonna sit down on the cushion every day. Now, maybe I have to get up and that's okay, but my commitment is still there because that is high on my list. And so I think that really goes in line with like, okay, how am I showing up here? What kind of life am I, do I wanna live? And having that commitment to my spiritual growth and you know, to helping other people is is so important and i think that also goes in line with not having too many expectations because we can feel really disappointed like wow this week i only spent you know two hours in total meditating last week i was there for like eight hours but we made the commitment every day right there, there's a a sense of wholeness that i get that i feel when i think about it like that as long as i'm committing to it like i did it i'm committed yeah you're committed. versus measuring Mm -hmm. yeah which right. kind of creates more expectations when since i did three hours last week now i need to almost make up because i want to do six or whatever you know there's yeah it's complicated pretty fast yeah so, you're getting sorry to interrupt you you're, you're, you're yeah, getting good. evidence that it's high on your list it's like meditation is really important for me i'm making the commitment so the acceptance piece is like accepting your values yeah, and accepting, accepting for that day as well. Yeah. Yeah, and accepting the situation when you're sitting on the cushion, you have to get up. I'm feeling an impulse to arise. This impulse is stronger than my impulse to sit. I've surrendered to it. Right. Yeah, and then the commitment comes in to that as well. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, commitment to the moment. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's great. I really, I really enjoy that. Who, who puts that together? The act framework. What's who's the uh, so founder of that? Stephen Hayes, H A Y E S. And there's like a 101 books on it. Um, really well studied, evidence-based practice. Um, really, the beginning of my journey when I saw that psycho psychology and psychotherapy and spirituality were not mutually exclusive. Nice. And I'll go through the other four facets of the of the modality if you're interested. Yeah, yeah, totally. I I, yeah. I guess I'm holding a few things in mind of yeah, these other facets. And then I'm curious about your uh your piece about tying in these layers of suffering as well, the levels of suffering that I don't know if you might be able to fit them in, but we can do that next. Otherwise. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah well. I believe ACT would describe itself as would be able to hit any layer, sort of any road you are on top towards the top of the mountain, ACT would be able to assist in that. And um, maybe not the very, very top, but uh, <laughs> you know, one of those practice, one of those modalities that, that really can help almost anybody. Um, and I'll just quickly go over the other four with you. So um, number three would be presence, you know, being in the now. Number four is, uh, well, I'll say presence, and then number four is self as context, which is, you know, what we're speaking to, which is that I'm not an ego, I'm not will, I'm something mysterious that happens to be here, that happens to be witnessing, and I don't know what that is, but it's not just will, because I'm aware of will, right? So it's self as context, they call it. And that presence and self as context piece go together the same way the values and the committed actions go together. And then the the last two are acceptance and diffusion. And diffusion means uh, not uh, fused with your thoughts. So there's that mindfulness piece and the acceptance piece is, um, I think, intrinsic to this fire of compassion you speak to. Mm-hmm. that's the way the compassion sort of enters into that modality mm, nice yeah. yeah i really love that that's that's a really nice picture mm-hmm. so acceptance mm-hmm. comes in twice but it's a uh-huh. different a different octave right because it was acceptance commitment and acceptance then... and commitment therapy is the name of the modality okay got it yeah, yeah. so yeah. number one and two were what again uh number one and two are are values and committed action right by the way these don't go in order it's a on the illustration it's just a hexagon so they're all um, equal yeah yeah it's so interesting i mean i feel like there's so much value in a lot of the the western frameworks as much as i've studied mostly the eastern philosophies and you know gone into all that world where there's it's not as much of like a flow chart hexagram it's more (laughs) passed on by transmissions and that kind of thing but it they they're just so they're both so helpful and i feel like to kind of touch back in on that piece about maybe our generation gets a bad rap you know about about this but the idea that we're just beyond it you know i don't need i don't need to go into that i'm I'm just going to meditate and things will work themselves i mean like to agree that's one approach and i feel like there's probably many people who have achieved that i I know someone i spoke to she said that one of her teachers achieved his enlightenment's you know more of like a steady enlightened state 
through laying on his back. You know, he just did that all these years, laid on his back. <laughs> mm, wow. You know, and in some ways, that's that's like completely valid. I mean, there's no there's no really right way. But I I love the practicality. I guess it's it's because I grew up in the United States, and maybe you feel the same way. You know, here we're we're like bred with all this these concepts, and so my mind my, it likes to be met in that place. You know. Yeah. Um, and then I also enjoy completely letting all that go and perceiving the world through other senses. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the same thing. My mind loves, you know, you said you have sort of this math-oriented mind. Yeah, my mind loves this chart, you know, hexagon lists. You know, it's like, yes, please. You know, that's sort of just my conditioning. Um, and then, um, lost my train of thought. Well, right. I think that is the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm doing. I'm doing well. <laughs> Well, what do you feel like touching on next? I mean, we, we've covered quite a bit. I feel, I feel like we've done we've done a lot of, like the mental side of things. Um, I guess I was wanting to to feel a little bit more into these layers of suffering that you you may paint the picture of a little bit more. Um, but if you want to pivot yeah, in another I would, direction, I would love... and do that mm -hmm. too. Yeah, I would love the opportunity to, to go through some of some of the teachings, some of the analogies that I find to be the most useful, have been the most useful here. Um, Please do. And, um, yeah, sort of go into some of that. I, I really quickly, I remembered my, my previous point was just that I have a personal trauma history. And so when I just did the spiritual path, I was running into blockages that the spiritual path really didn't have an answer for and um just meditation for me i tried and I, it wasn't enough so for me i needed a little extra support so psychotherapy was there to sort of be that that pillar for me yeah nice thanks for sharing that because i think i think that kind of goes along it does it goes along with what i'm saying in, in the sense that for me it was it was the same too actually you know because when i mm -hmm. When I started to to feel a lot of the trauma hit hit my world and become more aware, okay, something's not right. Like, why am I not happy? Why am I not complete, like fulfilled? Yeah. And I and I left. I left the country. I spent some time in Thailand, and I spent some time in India, and I was studying yoga. And there's mm -hmm. just this point where, and I, I knew too. I, I I kind of told this story a couple of times, but I was reading this book about how one should not go to India spiritually mm. seeking you know yeah. were you in india at the time? and i was reading that book on the plane to india and i was like oh yeah. I, you know i know i'm not gonna like necessarily find something here that's special um, here and you know that just the irony was like enough for me to just be laughing through my flight oh good um, yeah so i was enjoying that piece of it but it was yeah there's a certain point during my time there where i, I just felt like this need to be in the world and I don't know where Andrew Cohen is these days, but I was appreciating yeah. his his radical teachings on enlightenment, how, you know, the, the old perennial schools of, of thought have this idea of transcendence at, at the end goal, you know, and to him, it was, it's the beginning. It's like, well, you know, once you're reaching that place where you, you realize it's not just me as this ego, it's, you know, yes, I can go into, into this transcendent place. I can sort of ascend or like bring my, my, 
energies to a higher frequency, um, it's kind of a starting place because the way I see it now is like, and this is why I like highlighting embodiment as a process, because I think there can be a tendency to get mixed up with spiritual spirituality as going into the transcendent state when actually it's, yeah, I mean, yes, going into some transcendent state supports the way we might gather information or come into a greater alignment or, or find the intuitive voice in the midst of the monkey mind and the, and the, the other voice that's saying a whole bunch of other stuff that maybe doesn't matter as much you know the compared to what's actually there authentically at our core um where is it going with that uh <laughs> lost my train of thought good we're both doing the right thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah we can be non-attached about that right mm. Mm. yeah funny it's hilarious you're reading the book on the plane to india I know it's so fun. Yeah, and yeah, where yeah. is it going? <laughs> I know, right? I wonder what he's doing these days because I was like, I was actually really appreciating him, but I know there's maybe some mix-ups that that he had with the students. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think the, I think the point I was trying to make was more or less that, at a certain point, it's important to realize that going up in in clarifying oneself is one part but bringing all that down into the body is a whole nother and yeah I, I just find that that's my work at this point it's just how do i feel my legs more yes right yeah how do i feel my feet yeah yeah i was listening to a to a non-dual teacher who was saying you know this the enlightenment process is energetic and so how can we help that energetic process you know it's not mental it's not even physical it's like energetic like it happens somewhere else and what can we do to allow those energies to really open up and shift for us yeah like one thing i've been enjoying lately is like taking more naps <laughs> nice yeah slowing down more you know yeah kind of listening to that guy who laid on his back for a while and some magical stuff happened yeah that's nice just like there. <laughs> nice yeah mm, okay so should we jump into a little bit of um yeah some of michael singer's work and yeah because i think i think what we can do is maybe take the next 15 does that feel like enough time for you to you know however much time that it that you might want to take to go yeah go through some of your methodologies yeah bring What's what are you synthesizing? There's so much to kind of get your hands into, and yeah, there's so much, right? Yeah, yeah, finding the pieces that that work together. I feel like that's mm -hmm. been my journey, specifically my work for the last um, six months or so, was really like, you know, taking everything that I've learned that has helped me, and then piecing it together to find, you know, sort of a succinct, uh, a succinct explanation and and tools to to give to people and give to my clients and so this is my this is my best shot at that so far and you know it's always changing but i think that i've sort of found some something and hopefully they're simple enough that that people can follow so like i said i i start off with the values thing and i think from just like uh getting people from 
where they're at to a little better. It's, it's a great way to do it. And then we can get sort of more into like, you know, really climbing up. Um, and that to me, uh, uh, so Michael Singer is the author of Untethered Soul. And so I utilize a lot of his approach to this. And I like to use the analogy of um, a geyser in the ground. So you have the geyser and you have the, the well, or sort of where the, you know, the outside of the geyser, and then the water comes up and springs forth. And um, in this analogy, the water is the Shakti or the Chi. And the geyser is sort of in all of our bodies. And then the chakra system is sort of stacked up there. So what happens is that uh, we're born, you know, and we're, we're a young kid and the water just flows freely. So the water moves up into all of our chakra centers and we're feeling love and joy and connection and fulfillment and we're in touch with life. And, and then what happens is usually between the ages of like three and 12, um, trauma starts to happen. And life is not conducive to such sensitive creatures. You know, a lot of people on the spiritual path are deeply traumatized, which means we're deeply sensitive. And the more sensitive you are, the more scarred you're gonna be. Because kids are walking around with their arms open, you know, like, please give me a hug. And when there's enough painful experiences, they're, they're, they're gonna experience, you know, deeply upsetting moments, deeply uncomfortable, deeply traumatizing. And that ranges from anything from, you know, school bullying to domestic violence, to sexual abuse, to, you know, just getting like wanting to hang out with your friend and them saying like, oh no, I'm gonna hang out with somebody else. You know, like that also can create some type of scar. And so in this analogy, we have this geyser. And when these uncomfortable experiences come in, let's say to a five-year-old, the experience is so overwhelming that the five-year-old cannot handle it. They can't hold it. They can't let it pass through their system and, um, and release, basically. It's too much for them. So the body and the mind do this very helpful thing, which is they push it down in order to keep going. And what happens when they push it down is it doesn't just disappear. What happens is this stone in this analogy gets formed and it gets tossed into the well. And so over the course of our lives, as more and more of these experiences come in that are too overwhelming, we create more stones and we keep pushing them down into the body. And so by the time we're, you know, 16, 18, 25, whatever it is, there's so many stones in the well that the Shakti, the water, barely can make it to the surface. And it's just sort of like a little bit of a, of, of a you know very cool thank you i was thinking tinkle and that was just not right <laughs> uh, and um and so uh the mind which is inherently benevolent creation it is a tool for our survival and for our happiness it thinks well there's all of these uncomfortable situations in life and when there are stones in the body, um, so let's say we get rejected from uh, a parent when we're four, then the next time we get rejected from a romantic partner when we're 16, we're gonna feel 
the same wound where the stone is going to sort of move around we're going to feel it and the mind is like oh we can't feel this you know we're, we're not prepared for it and so the mind does is it, is it stays thinking to try to distract ourselves from all of this uncomfortable stone these blockages these samskaras that are stuck in the body and so the mind keeps thinking and then our society is actually cultivated around this idea of distraction so the same so the mind the mind's extension is our society and so the answer that the mind has come up with to help us feel safe right it's still benevolent it's just um it, it's its technique is distraction I think okay it's not okay here so we got to move somewhere else and then we're looking at technology we're looking at tv at movies at drugs at gambling at sports at sex at food it's our society has literally become like instagram people sit around and say how can we make instagram more addictive how can we get more clicks on youtube you know how can we keep people distracted from feeling their blockages inside from feeling their stones all the mind knows is this is uncomfortable and i gotta keep going outside to try to make myself feel okay and then people also will try to manipulate the outside world to come in line with our um, sort of be able to move around our blockages in a specific way so you know finding a romantic partner is probably the biggest example of that you know i want to feel shakti in my heart so if i can find someone to love and be loved well then the shakti can flow that way but then if when they reject me or when they go away or when they die or leave me or cheat on me i feel that blockage that that shakti was moving around and i feel the initial pain of rejection and so our job then is not to move to the outside world, to manipulate it, to move around our, our, our samskaras, our blockages. Our job is then to remove these stones. That becomes evident, I think, for probably most of the people listening and yourself. And we all recognize that at some point, like we have to do the inner work to heal us. And the inner, the, the stones were were created with pain they were pushed down with pain because they were too overwhelming to feel and so they're going to be released with pain and they're going to be released with the same trauma traumatic energy that was there when you stored them and that is the only way to to heal them feel it to heal it as they say mm -hmm. yeah. and so then what happens is how do we get these stones out right well luckily life again benevolent life is is helping us out because they trigger us all the time and so every time we go through and we're feeling rejection or we feel uh, shame or we feel you know some type of disappointment or feeling lack of self-worth whatever these is these are old wounds that are getting sort of jostled and you can feel like the the shakti, the water, is sort of pushing up on these stones, saying, okay, like, it's here, let's get this one out. And most of us will just sort of like, oh my god, uncomfortable, shove that shit back down, you know, bring out the phone and, and you know, watch a video or something to not feel it. 
but that's life, you know, allowing, giving us the opportunity to remove these stones. It's sort of like we are part of life. This goes back to like, you know, tapping into this sort of universal experience. It's like life is like healing us on purpose. So the world then becomes much more of a benevolent kind universe instead of something scary because we're like, leave the house and we're like, oh no, when am I going to get triggered today? More like, oh, when am I going to get triggered today? Like, these stones <laughs> have been in me for so yeah. long. Please, let's get the shit out. Totally. Yeah, that's, yeah. it's, it's nice to hit that inflection point. I, I certainly have not always felt that way. I'm sure you probably can relate. But yeah, like getting, getting to see the, the joy. I feel like we were kind of touching on this a little bit earlier, but like that, there is that point in the journey where there's this pleasure in the process that emerges and the pain, the painful story becomes a little bit less relevant, at least enough to, to where there's more space to enjoy the journey. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. Because the enough of the work has sort of been done. There's more space opening up. Right. And the that is are... that momentum. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The people who are really suffering, who are like deeply depressed and anxious, like the stones just kept piling up, piling up, piling up. And the bodies become so unsafe. They haven't gone down there. They've just been up here for so many years. And then they need, you know, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and um, or they're addicted to other substances or they're just like always at work because they're just like, I, I it's so unsafe. I can't feel this. And they just move so far into the other direction. And so you have to sort of take this journey back and say, okay, I got to start healing these stones. I've been blocking my Shakti for so long. So there's no way I'm feeling contentment and joy and gratitude and love because the water can't get up that high. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like it's, I love what you're saying because I feel like this, this metaphor is just perfect. And it, it, it reminds me of the yogic teachings where, I mean, through the asanas, the physical postures, you're purifying your body. And, you know, it's said that every disease is, is basically eliminated. And it makes sense because it, with that flow of that Shakti, that's what happens. I mean, you, you just, the body naturally has this intelligent healing capacity right. that's connected to this, you know, universe and its natural laws and all that. Uh, but when it's blocked, it's just weird stuff happens. And I think that's a lot where so much of our autoimmune disease yeah. diseases can occur is where we don't have that replenishing i call it a free energy source you know it's where we're it's where we're tapped into that fountain of youth so to speak and the, the it's flowing in our system we can feel it and, and it's just like a cascade of like pleasure really just um joy or like this ecstasis like the ecstatics speak to you know poetically in their their mystical you know journeys Absolutely. Yeah, Michael Singer talks about it too. And I think it can be somewhat of a dangerous teaching in spirituality if you get too attached to the feeling states, you know, but he'll be like, you know, yeah. can you, when you wake up in the morning, are you so, uh, you know, do you feel so much indescribable love that you can't move? Like, then you haven't removed all your stones yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good indicator how we wake up, isn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um so yeah so the process becomes removing these stones and and michael singer's technique is um he calls it relax and release r and r um and to just uh when life triggers you you know and it could be the smallest thing or it could be the biggest thing to uh relax your forehead relax your neck 
relax your belly, relax your butt and relax your heart and just let the experience move through you. And that in itself allows sort of like, so you can imagine this, um, this water torrent coming up and it's sort of the stone is sort of like at the precipice. And that's that like uncomfortable sensation of like, oh my God, oh my God, rejection, I'm not good enough, you know, shame experience. And if we can relax and release and just let that experience come over us and, and go all the way through us, then that water can sort of push that stone out. And yeah, it's kind of doing that just over and over and over again. Yeah, it's kind of like a leverage. You're moving into it to get the leverage and then it just kind of pops. Instead right. of running away, you're like, oh, okay, leaning in and then it's just kind of flowing at that like a little yeah, shortly after totally right and there's going to be this natural resistance to uncomfort you know discomfort our bodies are are made to resist pain and it's an uncomfortable experience so we sort of have to counteract we have to balance that natural movement away well i suppose the the reference to mishandled condition is yeah it's coming full circle into this because it's it, it makes sense why the human condition would be mishandled given that you know i think the the kind of peak moment to capture that is the instagram ceo or whatever mm. figuring out more ways to distract distract you know as its own example of what we've done to to kind of avoid what's really there yeah yeah awesome yeah and so um, I'll just speak a little bit more if that's okay about please do uh, yeah the, the next steps about um, so for me personally and I think this is true with like I said I have a trauma history is that we're not always able to relax and release there seems to be you know some smaller experiences like yes you know let those move through move move through and everything is fine and we can release some of those stones and then also not put more stones down there if we can. But there are some experiences, either the highly emotional ones or the very sticky ones that seem to be too much to release, too much to relax through. And so how do you how do you work with these two? So you can imagine sort of like there's, uh, you know, all these stones and there's like a big net of like relax and release that catches, you know, maybe 75 percent. But the other 25 percent that get through you know, 12 and a half percent are um, the emotional ones and then the other half are are the really sticky cognitive ones. And so what do you do with both of these? And so I um, really like the work of this man, Asya Jolie, is this Italian psycho, you know, I don't I think he's a doctorate. So some psychologist, uh, spiritual seeker guy, but he's got this modality called psychosynthesis which is a lot about inner child work. And I found it to be really essential here and really able to work on that acceptance part of acceptance equipment therapy, where you bring this compassion piece and, and you bring this love in. And the way that, the way that I'll, I'll illustrate it is, let's use rejection for example. So let's say I go to Trader Joe's and I ask the, uh, ask the cashier out on a date and she's like, you know, I thought she really liked me. And it turns out she's like, no, like I have a boyfriend, you know, get away from me. And so then I'm experiencing like, okay, I'm feeling like deep rejection right now. So I'll ask my clients who come in with these sort of experiences, 
where do you feel the rejection? So let's say they feel it in their heart. I ask them to, to pay attention to the sensation and see when is the first time that they felt that experience? When is the very first time that you had this experience of rejection? And again, it usually goes back to this period between ages like three and 10, three and 12. Let's say when they were five years old, if they have this memory, they were, you know, asked their mom for a hug and she was too busy and stressed out and she said, no, I, I'm, I have to leave, you know, and they can feel that's like first time. You can think about how traumatic that would be for a five-year-old. Like this is their primary caregiver. This is their mom's the most safe environment they know. It's the first time in their life they're like opening their arms and they're feeling rejection. So, so that's who's showing up in this moment in Trader Joe's. Like this five-year-old Will is, is actually in the room, came into the heart center and is like, I'm really upset. It's the exact same experience as was, you know, back then. And so if we think about who are the best people that you've seen when working with little kids when they're upset? Like, who are like those really good parents? They're like, wow, they are like, they're doing a great job. You can think about a five-year-old, you know, really, really upset. And the impulse would be to like, I don't know, give them like candy or something. But like, that's just distraction, like not really going to work. Then the other impulse people have is like, no, everything's okay. Like, don't cry. Everything's fine. And that, you know, is a good impulse, you know, at least, because it's like, like, oh, you know, you're trying to calm them down. We can think about it from the five-year-old's perspective, like everything is not okay. And if somebody, <laughs> <laughs> if someone comes to you and is telling you the opposite, it's just more confusing. It's Definitely. like more disorienting. And, and all of a sudden you like can't trust your experience because somebody you trust is telling you that it's not, they're not validating you. So to really work with these little kids you want to you want i mean you can imagine i mean you want to sit down with them you want to give them a hug you want to say it's so scary it's so painful i understand of course of course you're upset i'm here i love you you know like you just hold them and and you're just validating them and and being with them and and having no agenda with them you're just experiencing there with, with them. You're just going through that experience with them. And so that's exactly how these more emotional energies get healed in us. So when I'm, when I'm there and the, you know, and the, the clerk in the, in the grocery store rejects me and I'm feeling this shame, I know where this is from. This is from five-year-old Will who got turned down by his mom. And so I'm not talking to a 27-year-old adult I'm talking to a five-year-old. That's why it doesn't work when we try to calm ourselves down. It's like, oh, you know, you're being irrational, you know, like it doesn't matter. People say that you're attractive all the time, you know, like you, your girlfriends loved you. You know, we try to rationalize with ourselves or we'll like, you know, pick up the phone and distract ourselves. But that's sort of what we're doing to the five-year-old inside. We're saying like, oh, don't be upset. Everything's fine. You know, your mom's just busy. Like it doesn't, it doesn't work. Like, cause we're not talking to an adult, we're talking to a little kid. And so this was a huge, a huge realization for me when I realized that I wasn't, when my suffering was not my age, it was really young. And so then I was like, oh, oh, I know what to do. 
And so you go, you leave the grocery store, you go sit in your car, you close your eyes, you say, hi, sweetheart. I'm so sorry you're so upset. I'm here. I love you. I know it's so painful. She rejected you and she rejected me. And I was really hoping that it was going to be great. And now I'm just feeling awful inside. And, and it sucks. And I'm sorry. And I want you to know that you can stay here as long as you want. And that I'm going to be here to support you. And you give them room and, and, and you say, okay, you're going to be in my heart. You know, it's not a pleasant experience. It's uncomfortable. You're feeling this rejection. You're feeling the sadness. And so this is, again, we, we can't resist these experiences. What you resist persists, right? And so this way, this psychosynthesis work, this inner child work is so essential in really being able to hold these traumatic moments from our childhood to really get allow these stones to come out by sitting there and just saying, okay, I'm going to feel this with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, no wonder there's a layer of resistance there, you know? Yeah, of course. It's so yeah. scary. It was so scary. It was so overwhelming that we couldn't handle it when we were that age. We were forced to bury it. And so now that we're adults and now we have these abilities and this capacity to hold some of this stuff, now we can go back with compassion, with gentleness, with love. And we can say, okay, I'm here now. I, I, I can sit with you through this. Yeah, that's a really... That's awesome that you're bringing that into the to the work, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, it seems like it, it it really is so much of the bulk of it, you know, because so much of our traumas happen when we're when we're young, and you know, we're we could be walking around as these little kids, you know, like and a lot of us are, I think, and we're we're just we're sort of stuck between worlds in a way because it's like, well, I. I know I'm 34, but I but then this five-year-old keeps showing up, and then there's a 16-year-old, and there's another 12-year-old in there too. And yeah, they come out at all at different places and times. And there just is that opportunity. I think that's the cool thing about leaning into it. Oh, I'm triggered. This is an opportunity to like, you know, to take out one of those stones. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That paradigm switch. Uh, is so helpful, necessary, and very helpful. You know, like I said, the universe all of a sudden goes from fearful and and uh, unkind to just like, yes, like, please come and help me out. Thank you so much. Yeah, and, which is... Uh, okay. Go well, I was going to say it's the same thing with your partner. <laughs> it's, right. All yeah. of a sudden, your partner doesn't seem like, oh, my God, you're like it's this what's wrong with this person it's more like oh like it's just this kid it's just this mm -hmm. little one that's in there that just wants some attention and all of a sudden like the the like the monster that they maybe were before now becomes very cute beautiful exactly <laughs> it's exactly true and then you can show up for them in such a more loving authentic way because we really have to i love what you said before about all the family inside i call it you know like the eight-year-old the 12-year-old the six-year-old it's like we have to meet them where they're at. I would, for most of my life, I was treating everybody like the age I was at. And I would sort of beat myself up. Like, why am I suffering so much? Like, like why am I so upset? This, this, you know, the stranger on the road, like, didn't smile to me, you know, or whatever it was. And I'm like, I'm just like still upset about it. And like, Will, like, you're supposed to be this like incredible therapist or whatever it is. It's like, oh no, 
I'm not talking to an adult. Like I'm talking to a kid. Oh, of course you feel bad. You, you feel like it's your fault. And that makes a lot of sense. Oh, sweetheart. Love you. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm so happy you're doing that work in the world. Cause it feels like that's almost someone like, yeah, it's essential. Like you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm, I love this work. And then when we learn to parent all the kids inside, we can also really show up and, and mature for all of our fellow humans. We can be more of our age on a constant basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then we can remove some of these stones, and of course we feel lighter and more free. Um, and so, yeah, so that's all the like deeply emotional, traumatized part of the stones. The other, the other half um, was is I, I use Byron Katie's to work for. And anyone can find more information on her through, I'm sure a lot of people, you know, she's pretty famous now, but it's thework.com. She's got great books. I would recommend to read all of them as well as Michael Singer. I would read all his books. There's only three of them. Um, and um, and that's a, you know, that's a process of, of sort of a more cognitive process, a meditative cognitive process of, you know, is it true? Can I absolutely know that it's true? What happens to me when I believe the thought? And then who would I be without that thought? What would that look like? And then you're taking that thought and turning it around and saying, turning around to the self. So he lied to me, turns into I lied to me. How did I lie to me in that moment? I lied to him. How did I lie to him? What what was being, oh, how was I showing up as inauthentic? And then how did he not lie to me? How was he telling me the truth? And so this is that sort of relational piece, you know, you're bringing in about relationships is really key. Um, and just any sort of these sticky thoughts that we really, they really sweep us up. They have this sort of Velcro quality to them and they just grab us. And the work I found is probably the best tool out there that I know of to address these really sticky ones. Nice. Yeah, that, that, that's amazing. That's a great combination too, because you're working a lot with the emotional field and the the various fragmented parts of self from a young age, and then going, I mean, changing mindset, right? I mean, I'm sure the work is really hitting that component. It's such a big deal because our mind really is our body to me. So it's, I mean, when we change our mind, then it's amazing to see what else changes. Yeah. So that's what I do. That that's That's my work. Um, that's the work I really believe in. That's what's worked here. I think these three combinations, these three modalities, we have Michael Singer's relax and release. And there's a meditation aspect in that, you know, practicing mindfulness, building our capacity to hold is a big part of that work as well. A surrender is at the, you'll see if you, anyone interested in his books or know about his work, it's all based on surrender, all based on that acceptance component. And um and then you have the emotional ones and the cognitively sticky ones. And I find that having this framework, you know, giving sort of handing you the tools and saying, okay, like this is pretty simple. It's not, it's not that hard. Like there are steps to take. It 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 really can transform people's lives and directly target suffering. Yeah, and it's just about showing up to it, taking mm-hmm. the time. Yeah. That's what's also really great about having like regular therapy sessions or you know coaching sessions or whatever it's like once i've explained this framework to my clients then every week we just practice 
you know, they show up for the 50 minutes and we're either doing a worksheet, Byron Katie's a worksheet, or we're practicing mindfulness with a relax and release. We're building that compassion, you know, being able to hold ourselves. And then we're doing a lot, I do a lot of this inner child's emotional work. Because most of the time people are coming in and saying, you know, this week I really wanted to, I put myself out there with my partner and she turned me down in bed and I feel just awful about it. And I just like, I just didn't talk to her for like that whole night. And I just like went to bed feeling really sad. And so we go back to that moment and we think, okay, so where do you feel the rejection? You know, when's the first time you felt that rejection? Who's showing up right now? And can we make room for them? And can we experience, can we go through that, go, go through that experience with them? And that's a lot of the work. And you just sort of, you just, mm -hmm. you just go at it. You remove, you just keep removing stones, removing stones, and then you'll just notice your life just gets lighter and lighter all on its own. Yeah, well, I know anybody coming up over your way is going to enjoy the process. And yeah, I mean, it's nice to, it, it's hard to do it alone. It's nice to do it with somebody. Mm -hmm. And you're always building a relationship with that, with that person as well. And it feels like you have a really, you know, great rock there in terms of that as well. Yeah. By, uh, Byron Katie's work reminds me of John D. Martini's work, the, the D. Martini method. Mm -hmm. It seemed like right. a very, very similar. Mm -hmm. Feels like the undertone there is about self ownership. You know, just instead of pointing fingers, like what is there for me to claim? Mm -hmm. So I, so I have sovereignty, which is huge. Yeah, it's a powerful so, combo you got. Yeah, it's great, right? Yeah. You know, I, I I think it really works, and it's it's pretty accessible. You know, we're not doing any any like the teaching is 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 rooted in in things that are um, simple, and clear, and heartfelt, presence oriented. You know, still sticking sticking to that hexagon. That's still going to be sort of the the framework of my therapy. Mm -hmm. you know having that values and action component and some of you know my value is waking up being you know being happy and my you know that action is showing up to therapy for me you know showing up to the room you're like okay i'm doing one of my i'm in line with my values today doing the work and then you have the acceptance component the surrendering to the experience to letting it come through you saying yeah this is it you're present to it um you're diffused with your thoughts, you know, that's Byron Katie's work, diffusion. And, um, and then selfless context goes through the whole thing. And that's sort of, you know, that's not really like a main focus of mine with most of my clients that tends to happen on its own, just doing the work. And when there's just less suffering here, naturally, this space can just start to open up and you can start to just feel more connected and more open and the ego will slowly start to collapse as we do this work there'll be more and more holes in it yeah it's nice it's nice because you bring in the spiritual side of it i mean yeah it's just yeah that context is so important so to have that in, in addition to that i feel like the fact that you're bringing in the spiritual component and then the values work and then sort of like this more cutting edge work with Kyron Beatty, uh, Katie Byron, right? Byron Katie. Byron yeah. Katie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, I, I need to explore her a little bit more. She's, it seems quite profound. I um, would start but, for, for deep spiritual seekers, 
I would start with her last book, which is A Mind at Home with Itself. And that's nice. her translation of the Diamond Sutra, the Buddhist Diamond Sutra. Really? Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Then, that seems um, like a nice yeah, intro. It's on, it's on Audible. Um, it's definitely not the intro to her work. You know, I would go like sort of in order. So her main book is Loving What Is, but it's not, it's, you know, it doesn't really appeal to this to my spiritual side as much. Very useful, of course, but um, if you really want to see her process and and what she went through and how the work came to be, I would I would go with her last book. One of my favorite sort of transmission books that happened here. I do Audible. I like to hear the authors speak to me, and um, that was a big that book was was a big part of my growth. It's nice when they when they choose to do that themselves. It's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Will. Well, well, if people are, you know, feeling really resonant with you and wanting to reach out and, and have some sessions, what how how can people best find you? Yeah, so uh, my email is will.cohn, C-O-H-N, at iCloud.com. Um, I'm also on Psychology Today, which is sort of the database for psychologists. You can just put in my name. I'm guessing it'll be spelled somewhere. On yep. the, yeah. And um, yeah, email is going to be the best way to find me. Um, yeah. Nice. Love it. Well, yeah, for all those listening out, I definitely vouch for Will here. Oh, thanks. It's been really fun to talk. I look forward to more. I, don't, I know there's a lot more dialogues yeah, that forever. will emerge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for your time today. And thanks for showing up and, and uh, being with me today. Thank you so much, Keenan. I, I just... Um, I just so appreciate how you live an example of living your values and helping. I know that compassion and helping others is a value of yours and just creating this podcast and showing up for your clients and, and your heartfelt conversations. You're just such an example of that. So you're an inspiration. Thank you, Will. And, Thank you. Um, appreciate I that. cherish our friendship. Yeah. Me too. You look, feelings are mutual. Mm, thank you so much. And thanks everyone for listening. I really appreciate it. Thank you.